0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Writers' Showcase, part of the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series. I am joined today by Lisa O'Halloran-Schwartz, author of What Could Be Saved. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's Thank so fun. Thank you for being here. Um, So I want you to tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your latest
1: release. What could be saved? Sure. I'm, uh, um, let's see, I'm a retired emergency medicine doctor. So (gasps) you didn't know that. I did not. (laughs) I hide it. Well, Um, but, uh, and this is the latest book. What could be saved. It's my reading copy. You can see the little things in the, um, but it's a book about, is a novel about an expatriate American family living in Bangkok in 1972, whose son, eight-year-old son, Philip goes missing. And, um, then what happens when decades later, a man appears in DC, Washington, DC in, 19, in uh, 2019, claiming to be the vanished boy. Uh, but that's where the family has moved to. And the novel actually opens with, uh, in 2019, when his little sister, who is now in her 50s, gets this message saying, I found your brother. And so it, it's, the novel asks, um, is it really Philip? And if it is, or if it's not, what happened to Philip that day? And And it also asks a lot of other questions along the way. And I think it answers it, answers them all. And uh, I'm pretty happy with it.
0: (laughs) You should be happy with it. Um, We were chatting before the show. I am reading it now. So I, no spoilers. No spoilers. um, I was hooked from the very beginning. I love a good mystery and your writing style is so stunning um Thank you. you you know it, it it's visceral and it's visual and I love the fact that the way you describe things is so so pitch perfect and I love the fact that my our main character Laura is an artist and I wondered are you an artist as well? Because you write like a painter or a photographer.
1: Well thank you. No, I'm not an artist. My mother was a painter. And although she was a watercolorist and Laura works in oils, so I I have some understanding of I can
2: draw but not terrifically well. Um but I when I was had Laura talk about her work, it really was, was a little bit me talking about writing. How Passionate you are when you're reading something, how confused you are about whether or not it's any good for a long time, and, and how delightful it is when you think it's good, how devastating how it is when you, you think think bad, bad, when, you when you think it's bad, or when you think, you think it's flawed, bad. and it just and how, how, much, how much, how important it is. it is, how how important it is to the person creating it. You know, you know that's that's so. That's where, that's where, I, got where I got that got from. She tried, to, tried be to be a different thing. thing. She tried, tried to be. be I tried I to, try make to make her, her into a different, different kind of kind of person. person. She was she supposed to be a chemistry person. professor when I started writing this. So and that I feel, mean, I feel, that's
0: I feel, such a I feel huge difference, yeah. is, a huge is, difference between art and science. So It is. You
2: know, I felt i, found I found comfortable, comfortable, comfortable with, with science. I was welcome. welcome. I hate it. It's the only science I hate of But, um, um. And that's, and that's part of it. Part also, of it was, also was, trying was trying to make her, to make her separate, her separate from, from, me. from, from me. me, because my family, family didn't spend, did spend time in Bangkok, in Bangkok when I was, when I I was that age. age, and so and I, so really, I really didn't want any of my characters to actually, actually be or be family members. members. Um, um I like, liked fiction, fiction much more fun than trying to be accurate, I I like setting to be accurate, accurate. Um, I want the character character to be believable, believable. So I
1: force her into a chemistry professor, and I wrote if I liked, but she didn't want to be a chemistry professor and I realized that in the story she is not the type of person who would be a chemistry professor somebody that responsible and that analytical she's very um as you say visceral she's very instinctual impulsive and somewhat immature (laughs) you know
0: I was wondering um I didn't want to call her immature but there's that obviously something that she is um something very traumatic happened to her during her childhood. And I think a lot of times characters sort of get stunted or we as people get stunted at that moment of our, our greatest tragedy or,
1: you know, that defining
0: that defining moment, part of you is always there wondering, living that. So that's where I thought her maturity came from and her, a little bit of her like
1: commitment issues and, (laughs) Right. Well, absolutely. I think she. I think you're exactly right. God, that's so perfectly put. That we. We all. It's almost as if we freeze a little bit, and yeah. we. And and um. And in an earlier book, my book before this, the possible world. At one point, um, I have one of the characters thinking it that, um, we leave shadows of ourselves in places mm-hmm. where we in places where we change, and, um. And I and I had the I have the image of just all these shadow people you know her child herself as a child and herself as a young woman and her because of the character that's speaking is a hundred years old um and it's it's almost like a, a, a like a line of paper dolls all these different people wow, that's but it's beautiful it it reflects something that I think I feel like part of me is always sort of in my backyard in Washington D.C., or in that neighborhood where I spent so much time walking around yeah. when I was, because we moved back to Washington when I was young, or you know, in my um, prep school, my high school, or at college, I'm always. I feel like those places are still yeah. all in my mind right now. So I don't think they were necessarily traumatic, although I think all trauma, all change is a little traumatic. It is. I was going to say, I'm, I'm sorry.
0: High school is traumatic. Yeah, M- moving anywhere, yeah. even if you're moving someplace you can't wait to be, you're moving home. There's trauma there because it's change.
2: That's I mean, true.
0: I'm traumatized when I'm late someplace. I've been late one time in my life by ten minutes, and I have nightmares about that.
1: And you and I, I totally agree. I <laughs> yeah, I once read read I can't remember who it was. I wish I could remember, but. The guy described himself as, oh, I think it, no, it's a woman who described herself as, like, how she would catch a train. She would stalk it like a tiger, like you're stalking a tiger. She'd show up days early and wait. Yeah. And that's sort of, I I have to be early to everything. I You know, I agree with you. I have a horror yeah. of being late.
0: Yeah. When I fly, back when we used to be able to fly places and go uh. places, um, I mean, my husband will vouch for this. Like, we get to the airport, like, five hours early he's like oh my what? god you know, and I'm like it's well I just so want to true. make sure I can be there then I can relax we can get something to eat
1: right. but <laughs> I agree my my father was a was a really very experienced traveler and back in the way back in the day when we when you didn't have to have a ID to get on a plane yes. it was no, there was no security basically um I remember one time he he barely came to a rolling stop as he was dropping me off. I was going to I can't remember if it was going to Europe or back to school or something, but like I I ran in into the airport, ran through the airport, ran onto the plane and like thudded into my seat and everyone clapped because I was the last person on. They were they've been calling for me. And it was just my father was just so calm about it because he just traveled everywhere and it wasn't a big deal to him. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's so much preparation. I must be, you know, I must be in the, in the, like achieve homeostasis in the airport air or something.
0: (laughs) I understand. Oh, there was a time we were flying back from Czech Republic and we had to transfer at, um, in Paris and our layover was like 42 minutes or something oh, like no, that. No, and I'm no, like, no, 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 we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to make the flight. We definitely, so in my head, I just kept saying, we're not going to make the flight. I know we're not going to, but then we, we were like oh I think we can make the flight so we had one of those moments where we are literally like running through the airport Mm -hmm. I had to stop and take my inhaler because of my asthma Mm -hmm. I just like told my husband I'm like run run and we were those people that when we got on the plane people clapped because they're
1: like there I did that that in Tokyo this little woman running along pushing me behind me (laughs) This woman from the airline she's running in these high heels and I'm running in these clogs I'm not ready to run I've been traveling for like 20 hours. And she's pushing me as politely as possible. And I thought, you know, I I always schedule my layovers as, well, I don't even remember traveling anymore. But, (laughs) you know, you want at least like two hours to mosey around the airport. (laughs) You know, I'm so worried I'm going to miss a flight. It's not the end of the world if you do, but I always feel like it is.
0: Yeah. I've missed one flight in my life. Not my fault, (laughs) but... I was trapped in Texas and as a vegetarian, it, that's not a great place to be. Mm. I'm like, a
1: vegetarian too. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so
0: I, I get that. They gave us like a meal voucher for McDonald's and like mm-hmm. put us up in a hotel and it was just like McDonald's in Texas.
1: What am I going to eat at like <laughs> it's two not, in the morning? They didn't have salads left. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's when you have sort of constraints on yourself, it can be difficult to travel. I found when I travel overseas, like really overseas to me, which is like, you know, Asia, Africa, like it all goes out the window, all my control issues. It's amazing. Actually. It's, it's every time it's all my desire to control my environment disappears because I know it's futile. (laughs) There's, There's no way I want to be able to control everything. So I'm much more relaxed and people have noticed it. People have commented. They're like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like I'm fine, no problem. It's, it's all gonna work out, right? It just doesn't. But I, it's something. It's almost like I revert to, you know, because I was uh, born in Africa, and um, okay. so it's I, it's almost like I revert to this way I was probably as a child, like bathing in the. Oh well, who knows what's gonna happen next? Right. You know, it's out of my control. I'm a kid, right? But um, in America, I'm a perfectionist, control freak.
0: So how long did your family
1: live in Bangkok? Because Not that long. We were there for about maybe two or three years, two and a half, two, okay. three years. Um, yeah, oh, so we came funny. back. Just, just like Laura, just like Laura. They were, they were yeah. there four years, yes. <laughs> but it's, um, and it's a little frame shifted. It's not exactly the same time, but uh, it's the same era. And what I wanted from their from this, there's so many things I wanted from this story. And one of the things I wanted was to have a family who was overseas and missed this enormous upheaval in American culture, which happened in the late 60s. And we did um, completely, I was I didn't have a basis to really judge. But there were so many things I didn't understand, you know, oh my but I have I have a friend who was in college in. he went to college. He was a freshman in 1968 and they wore jackets and ties in the dining hall. It was all they were served. And then by 1969 in the spring, everyone's in cutoffs. They're, they're like taking over the administrative <laughs> buildings. I mean, he said it was such an, an upheaval and such a change. And so I thought that was just interesting to have this family in a an isolated bubble a bubble yeah and miss so much and there's so much about
0: we'll talk about Genevieve uh Laura's mother um she lives in so many different bubbles in the present day in her 2019 she lives in kind of the bubble of dementia yes. and in 1972 she lives in this bubble of Bangkok but she's also a very old-fashioned, proper upper-middle-class w- woman who's been put in this area, and the way you deal with—I don't want to—it's s- hard to say—like her racism, but her her like low-level racism towards the servants was so pitch-perfect. There's a, a part when I read it, I. Highlighted it because when she's talking about when she gave the servants different names and she calls them more manageable names, and that phrase, more manageable names, told me everything I needed to know about her.
1: That's invented. My mother never did anything like that and never would have.
0: Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Genevieve's very different from my mother. Good. Good. (laughs) Was she fun to create? Very much so I mean I have a lot of love and affection for all of my characters. almost every one of them, really, I love them and I love Genevieve.'t um, it's hard to say that what I do is create them. It's really hard to s- describe it, but it's it's as though I s- start in a place and then they they things happen and they things happen and I write them and more things happen and and then, in the revision process, that's where things get tailored and tried to make into a story. And also, I've been learning; it's really interesting how little, how little you really need to tell the reader. The reader is so much smarter than uh, that. Authors give, you know, readers credit for. I think sometimes because I'm always like, I gotta hammer this home. The matter is like, you know, we don't need three incidents of that; one will do. And I think it's absolutely true. I I noticed with the last book, um, The Possible World, readers picked up on the slightest things. And I just, I really didn't realize people would be that attuned. And it's not that they're, you know, studying it with a microscope. It's just that readers really like stories. And so they will, if it's a story that engages them, they're all in. And I, I just, I mean, I love that. So it's been really interesting to decide when I'm allowing a character to sort of wander around and do things and tell me things later, you know, what actually is true to them? What, what was I sort of getting wrong? And, um, and that's how she became a character. But um, the one thing I knew about her from the start was that she was not happy in Bangkok. And Mm. that made her utterly different from my mother. My mother loved Bangkok would never have left there. if She'd had any druthers. She never wanted to come back to America. It's a, it's a lovely place to live, but she didn't, you know, Genevieve was a different person with a different background and it wasn't so much that she was old fashioned, although she was in contrast to America, yeah. but she was the establishment. She was what America was. If if you were kind of wealthy um, before the upheaval and the uprising. Right. And so she, she wasn't, I mean, the truly wealthy are a bit shabby, you know, they like kind of <laughs> hang out in their dungarees, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But like, she was that sort of just a very well off comfortable family. She'd always had some staff at home. she had a nice life, and she really wanted that life and and I don't blame her. that's what she wanted. I was trying to i set her out to be a character, a woman who didn't want women's live, who didn't right. need women's live and because I was like, who wouldn't want to who wouldn't be a feminist well. I mean, because a feminist is not what sometimes people. I mean, you know, it's yeah. not what people think. They abstract all kinds of crazy things. A feminist doesn't have these, you know, insane clump of problems or thoughts or opinions. A feminist just considers women to be like equal, important, yes. and humans. Yeah, humans yeah, deserving a, a of human hum- rights. And, yeah, right. It's not capable. shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's not.
0: It's but literally we take it nothing. for granted. We take it yes. for granted that yes. Everybody would want this, but I understand that because my mother is not like Genevieve, but in a way she's, she's also not a feminist. She, right. and she wouldn't have wanted that. Like my father passed away a long time ago and she still says, well, your father always did right. this. Like, how do you expect, like, she still doesn't like to write out checks. She still doesn't really understand it. She's like, But well, that's your father's job. Right. And, it, and,
1: and, and, and it I was. Think- I mean, I think <laughs> Genevieve is she just this is her natural personality, and i i I had a hard time imagining what what how why would a woman not like she doesn't approve of women's love. She thinks it's all a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> well, the person who doesn't approve of women's love is a person who doesn't need it. Yep. she's well off, she's got her own money, she's comfortable, she has no challenges. she doesn't need, you know to to fight for anything even if right yeah I mean I I really, really um respect the people who don't need something and still fight for it because it's right. Mm -hmm. I mean that's that's a true mark of character and I think all of us would be surprised probably how they how we would act in different circumstances. But you know, anyway, so she she likes her life and she doesn't she doesn't see why people have to agitate and be unpleasant. She considers it just unpleasant all this talk about women's lib. And I think what I think is ironic, of course, and you may not have gotten far enough in the book, it's not a spoiler, but what's (laughs) ironic about her life is that she does not have the life that she expected to have because of what happened with Philip. Because of the disappearance of her child, her life changes utterly. And it's not so much that she's cheated of this life, doubly cheated of this life. It is that she doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore yeah. you know because it, it can't because mm-hmm. that's you know it's it's the worst thing that can
0: happen to a parent you know a child disappearing a child's death so yeah it the little the little things stop being
1: right even possible she and becomes much more aware of what's important
0: gosh i i can't tell you how much i'm i love the book i'm i was talking about it with a friend earlier and she was just like, "Well, what genre is it?" And I'm like, "Well, it's <laughs> it's a mystery. There is a mystery, but it's not a mystery. And it's literary, but it's not like so literary that it's like 800 pages of nothing going on, just beautiful writing. Um, so, what do? You, how do you classify this? Oh, thank and you. Then for how, and then ask you. And then. What did like your publicist and your editor classify it as?
1: Is it different? I think it's. I think what I would classify it as is. Um, uh, I, it is literary fiction, but it's a it's a family drama with a mystery at its heart. Um, written, it's it's accessible writing, but it is literary fiction. I mean, I I really think that there are different ways. There are different things that that writing does. That, that books will do obviously and some books are just you know just rip through them because they're so you know there's that's a um fabulous plot and you just can't stop mm-hmm. and a lot of books that have fabulous plots are also meant to be absorbed a little bit more slowly and there are some books that are experimental and they challenge you with the sort of structure and the voice and and I truly want to write books that are that put they're so immersive i want to make them immersive so that when you're reading it I, I have this weird analogy I think of, which is the writer's holding a block of cheese.
0: You and had somehow, cheese. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and somehow, the writer has to pass the cheese into the brain of the reader through the skull. It's it's magic because that's how I feel. I feel I want you to. I want it to be so easy to read that it, you don't have to. You're not hung up trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. It's not challenging, I think. And I, I know people always say there are words they don't know, which is great. I have words. I read words I don't know in books. and it's great. But in the context, you can figure them out yes. because that's how I learned those words. I read them in a book. Yeah. And I didn't look them up. I just read them in a book and over and over. And finally, I'm like, oh, I bet I know what that means. Sometimes <laughs> I got it wrong. But um, but anyway, so I think my publicist and my... my um, my publisher atria i think they would define it as a literary novel
0: yeah yeah Yeah, i i I tend to agree with that but once you throw in that mystery Mm -hmm. it it makes it you know it it turns that traditional literary fiction kind of it it like warps it a little in a good way um and i saw that you have been compared to donna tart
1: Oh, that's nice. Yes. Yes, I was the goldfinch. Yeah.
0: That is when you read that, like that you were being compared to Donatarte's The Goldfinch, which is kind of like the, the holy the Pulitzer grail
1: Prize winning of, yeah. of, mm-hmm. of,
0: of literary fiction. Uh, did you cry a little bit? I would have. Well,
1: no, my heart stopped a bit. Yeah. My heart just went, yep, stopped. Yeah. Um, it was lovely. Actually, one of the booksellers. I, I like remember these things that people say because they just go, they go and they get engraved on my heart because it means so much. I mean, you work so hard alone <laughs> for so long and crying on uh, I mean, your keyboard. <laughs> right, well, obviously the editor helps, you know, to help you shape it, but there's a lot of agonizing about, you know, and so you're trying to get everything just right. Cause I'm the most perfectionist person on the planet. And in fact, it can be sort of inhibiting, but, um, When someone loves your book, you're just so happy. So this woman wrote, and I don't remember the bookseller's name offhand, and I'm so sorry about that, but she said when I – she read an early copy, and she said when I finished reading it, I had the feeling I had after reading something really that was going to be a great book, like like an important book, like The Goldfinch, or um, somebody even said – uh the gentleman of moscow oh which gosh. you know I, I i love that book but yeah i mean i i really was so flattered and pleased because i mean at first of course you always try to diminish you're like oh you're just saying that because it's long and other and, <laughs> you know the goldfinch is long but i'll tell you i read the goldfinch and see that it was long i actually didn't perceive it i you I, know i read and the then goldfinch. i realized it's twice as long as my book twice yeah because I read The Goldfinch on my
0: kid and I never knew it was long until I went back and bought a, a hard
1: copy of it. And I
0: was like, holy cow, this
1: is a really long
0: book. Right. Um, never would twice have as long.
1: It is 297,000 words. It is twice as long as my book. Um, but I didn't feel it when I read it. And I think a lot of people have said that, which makes me so happy that that it goes fast to read, to read my book. And in fact, I love, the, I love when people say... I kept reading it fast and then trying to slow myself down because I was enjoying it. And I'm like, yes, that's what the second read is for. Feel free to read it again. It's so, (laughs) it's, it's, it's incredibly meaningful when someone compares me to something great or, you know, compares my book to something great or says, just says, I love it. There's one, One person on Goodreads, I read my Goodreads reviews. I know people don't. I was just going to say, you're so brave. Goodreads. I do.
0: I I read them too, but sometimes I
1: hate myself for it. Well, you know, one person wrote, "OMFG, just read this. I mean, like, I just, how great is that? But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that makes you feel sad because you're like, why? Why are you so mean? But... (laughs) (laughs) But then there's some people that it just makes the whole, I mean, it just makes your whole day and your whole life. So I think I'm not afraid. Um, I might someday change my mind, but you know, right now I tend to read them because um, I am writing. I I am writing for the reader. And I think I had to make that decision at one point. And in fact, there was this whole uh, discussion I had with my editor because there was a part I wanted to do that he it, it was a piece of the book that I actually put at the very end. And he, he said, you know, it just, it, it really doesn't belong there, although he said it in a nice way. And I said, well, but I want it there. It's the, it just, it's so, and it was so artistic. It was like this artistic thing. And it was beautiful and, you know, but as I was doing my final revision, I was like, all right. And I tucked it into the place where it actually did belong. And it could still be, and I still love that, that little scene. And it is, you know, meaningful, but it's just as meaningful where it is. And it doesn't up, uh, it doesn't just irritate the reader by like, what is this thing at the end of the book? Like, <laughs> I just read a book. You made me read this whole book. I want to feel like I'm done and not have this weird tag end that I don't understand. Right. So I think that was when I realized I really am writing for the reader and not, you know, just to be self-indulgent, which right. is one of my, that's one of the things I told my editor. I'm like, you have to tell me when I'm being self-indulgent. It, and a good editor right?
0: does tell you that. And I've i have done it. Hence, my other show is called Vox Vomitus, which is word vomit. Yes. And that's because I find myself doing it because I write um, like literary horror. So it's, oh my God. it's like, I'll go like, I went crazy on like this metaphor one time and it was like f- five pages of just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like word vomit. I'm like, and then by the time I got to the end of it, I'm like, that is so beautiful. What I created was mm-hmm. so beautiful. And then I went back and reread it and I'm like, oh, this could be <laughs> two lines. This is just like, this was me, like just pontificating on right. language.
1: <laughs> right. Well, you know, we love language and we love the way it sounds. and We love the way it can work to convey something. And so sometimes we get a little like in our heads and start, you know, okay. Pleasing ourselves only, and that's yes. that's when that's when it has to be pulled back. And it's hard to see that. I mean, I have one of my best friends is a film editor, he did documentary film, and you know, so for many years I've been sort of listening to him and hearing him about story. Um, because I think documentary filmmakers, editors, may be the like the best storytellers because yes. they have to take what's there. They can't even create it. They can't they create to, it. They, they just have to really have make to. it from what's there. Yeah. <laughs> So he would say, you know, I had to tell her this scene does not fit. I mean, I had to tell the filmmaker, this, the director this. And they're crying because they're like, but it's the most beautiful. He's like, it doesn't serve the story. <laughs> and so that's been, I've been really lucky to know people like that because those things ring in my head. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm completely unself indulgent There was a whole chapter, which you, I don't know if you've gotten to yet that i thought my editor might say you know you are you are too self indulgent here just because it's i i love the chapter but he he i thought well do i love it because i'm you know just loving it because it's mine and you know you love your own five exactly. pages of yeah yeah and uh he loved it so we kept it which God. made me really happy i know <laughs> but then then we cut a chapter that i really love and i i never will forgive <gasps> the,
2: the need oh. to cut that
1: chapter I mean, I just think it added something about one of the one of the characters. But you know, someday I I was gonna say, there's like a special, like
0: collector's edition with a new cover
1: and a writer's and authors
0: cut. (laughs) Authors cut. There's always directors cuts. There's always that. You know, Um, or just, I mean, just keep it keep it tucked into like your heart someplace. And
1: oh yeah, I do. It's it's definitely. I mean, because I had so many characters i mean you let you you meet the father and the mother, and you get to know them really well, and you get to know the three children when they're young and um one of the house staff, one of the servants oh, yes. um, how do you say so,
0: her name Noi? yeah it, okay, it's okay, I just wanted to make sure I was saying it correctly in my head,
1: yeah, Noi. <laughs> um yeah it's, it's i I really love her she's a I was say she's, she's a another fun character, great write. character. Thank it's you. She's a fun character to write. She's, I had a lot of qualms about writing her. I mean, oh, I agonized like in the most very irritating way for anyone around me about whether or not I should write Noi because, you know, I'm white. I'm not Thai. How dare Damn. I write a Thai character? And I talked, one of my Thai friends was like, oh my God, she was, she's very sweet because she's, I mean, the Thai culture is kindness and not, to be rude and nasty. So mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, my God, snap out of it, you're killing me, she said um, something like when the day when artists stop imagining themselves into other people's mm-hmm. minds and stories is the day when art stops. So yeah. it's all right. You're allowed to do this. And so That's I true. I mean, I really struggled with it. Because we can't just only write white women. Right. It, I mean, it, it, you know it's hard. It's hard so to know what's what's appropriation and what's right. you know, so I put Noy into a situation, and I didn't i I tried not to make this all about her being Thai, although she looks at the world through through sort of the the prism of how of mm-hmm. the the attitudes, the Thai attitudes of, you know, um just incredible um kindness and Uh, You really don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. It's really important not to. It's really important to be calm and not emotional. (laughs) Um, And so she has a lot of that because that's just natural to her. Mm -hmm. But the things Mm -hmm. that happen to her would happen to any woman, like a young girl in her position. It's not like some, you know, I'm not trying to say that I can speak for a, a specific Thai experience. She's having is normal like Normal experiences. normal woman yeah. girl problems. Right, exactly. You know, and normal girl
0: problems. We're yeah, not, not normal. normal. They're
1: they're they're unusual. Yeah. yeah. But but they're not uh, they're not specific to her yeah. um country of origin.
0: Yeah, I never um and again I haven't finished the book, but I never thought it she seemed exploitive or anything. I didn't even oh, think I didn't think twice about it. I just thought this was a character that was very well developed and I could tell that the writer loved them. I could tell that like it, it was written with love and you can tell that. And I, I feel like you can tell that in almost any book you read, like it, if the author truly yeah. loves a character, even if it's a villain, even if it's somebody who you're not supposed to like. I mean, I tell people yeah. I, I love all of my characters, even if I don't but like I, them, I love I them think so much.
1: I When I was young and I used to sketch, I used to sketch people, I found that if I sketch someone I loved that person so much while I was sketching them and after, because you're looking at them so closely and they may not be you know classically beautiful they are so beautiful when you're drawing so them. beautiful and I think Noi um her I I wrote a, I read a lot to to um support her life where she came from she comes from r- the rural Thailand um I read a lot of like oral histories and you know s- just all kinds of nonsense to support her life. And so I felt like I got into her, I don't know. I, I felt like I saw her close, the person I was creating. Yeah. And so it makes you love them. I yeah. even love the bad guys in my book. And
0: I, I like I won't that tell you who yeah. they are. You <laughs> know, I'm like, oh my god. Um I have I have my suspicions, but <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I can't wait I can't wait to finish reading it um last night I was fighting to stay awake because I was reading and I'm like I just want to read a little bit more so you, you I love that it I
1: me. keep people up and I make people cry in public that's one of my favorites that people listen on audio and then they yes. weep and they're like I made somebody some the first time it happened was um with the possible world somebody texted me and said I cried on the like in, on the bus in Dublin just yes. weeping love and everyone's that. looking I, you know it's it's terrible like though we love our our readers tears but I, you know
0: one of my favorite reviews I've ever gotten came from somebody I did know and she read my first book and she said like she felt so emotionally raw she felt like all of her skin had been removed and she was oh, shaking wow. and crying and I was like oh my like,
1: God. Oh, yes. Yay. <laughs> Like, we're so I pathological, it. but it's so true. you know, know. and that's what you want you want to make that emotion. yeah and I mean any emotion
0: except for those the bad emotions on Goodreads right. where they're just like I hated it. I hated every person uh, in it. I hate right. it right and I I don't, I don't um,
1: mind that it. like some people have said they don't like my characters mm-hmm. or they don't relate to them. and I get that but I yeah. love the person and whoever you are out there if you're listening, I love you so much because you are above and beyond a human being," you, she said. Something like, "I didn't like them personally, but I really l- l- cared about their struggles and wanted the best for them." I'm like, "Oh my God, you're such a good person." That is great, right? And I, I so love I think that I think it's asking a lot to make um, to make a reader care about uh, a character okay. they don't know, you know. But mm-hmm. that's what we want. We want the tears. want the we tears? Want the, yep. um, I want them asking want stand
0: questions. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Asking questions about my side characters. Like, oh yes. my gosh. I wanted to know more about so and so. I'm like, oh, you wanted mm-hmm. to know more about the throwaway character? Mm-hmm. Love that.
1: <laughs> I love it. I'm like, well, I could probably I probably have thirty thousand words that I could I <laughs> Cause I I, I write I overwrite. I'm extremely inefficient. I overwrite and then I cut and cut and cut and um and when I cut, I often fill in with other words, you know? Yeah. So it's just equal math. Never ending. A- <laughs> yeah, it's it just a, the words change. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: I, I'm I'm on a revision of my current work in progress now. And I was like, all right, I'm either gonna go up a bunch of words or down a bunch of words. I don't know. Right. And you know, I'm over halfway through this first revision. I'm like, I'm still within like the same like five hundred
1: word amazing. mark,
0: which is weird, but I keep but I am axing stuff and just that's like know, just replacing them with <laughs> <Sometimes> <laughs> well, the exact same words just in a different order. And I'm like, oh,
1: oops. that's. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's for me. I notice when I'm suffering and struggling to write something, it's means it's not supposed to be written. When I'm really bashing my head and it's coming out, and it's just horrible, loathsome garbage. <laughs> that's when I'm like, okay, no, mm-mm, that's, this is not supposed to be, yeah. that took me a long time to realize, you, you know, that you can think that something belongs and it, it really doesn't belong. And then I find that if I cut out the, the not some of the nonsense, because there's often so much nonsense in my first <laughs> and second and 57 millionth draft, um the, the stuff that sort of wells up, Works. Yeah. It's shocking to me, but it's a hard battle to get rid of the first stuff because you wrote it, you liked it, you slaved over it, you think it kind of works, you know, and so it's really hard to cut it. There's
0: always this, I think there's like this process in your drafting, writing process, like that first draft, which is like the vomit draft that you don't Mm -hmm. even reread. Like you you type it and it it feels good. And you're like, this is going to be an important book. I'm going to win an award. (laughs) This is going to be a movie. And then you reread it and you're like, what the was I I, like? What was I thinking? I thought this was good. This doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Cut it. Then the third draft, you're back to going, no, no, it's good. It's a good book. Fourth draft back to, are these even sentences? I
1: don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I do it day by day. Like Monday, I'll be like, okay this is this whole thing is just ridiculous. I'm a loser. I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> the Tuesday I'm like, oh my God, I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant And then you know Wednesday I'm like, I don't know about this you know so it, it goes it really fluctuates and I think you I think I end up kind of somewhere floating around the middle like I see the flaws. I see the potential flaws, but I also think, wow, this book is as close as I could bring it. It's as close yeah. as I could bring it to what I wanted it to be and I could write it you know, for a billion years. This book actually started as a 17 page short story when I was in medical school. Oh, and I that. just, you know, it was just a nostalgic sort of memory from my life. And it was, um uh, it was a short story called the driver. And um, you can imagine that where gave that gave me
0: chills. That gave me chills.
1: It's a good, it was a good title, right? Um, yeah, And I loved it. it. But over the years I thought, you know, there's, I want to do more with it. I want to do more with this. And it took me a long time to realize that the book, that this, that what this story needed to be, needed to be something with a real plot, something that really interests the reader, because you can't expect someone to be interested in something that you, your life, just because it's your life. I mean, just because I got it, I described it in a way that was really nostalgic to anyone who had lived in Bangkok at that time. That is <laughs> that's not a specific enough. audience, <laughs> right? And it's you know that it's, but that's true for everything. It's like I keep telling myself over the years. I, I mean, with the last book, with this book, verisimilitude is not the end goal, because you can get something exactly right, but every you know the reader is not. They're like, I don't care. You described that really well, but excuse me, why am I reading this book? I mean, they want to know what is happening. Why. You know, every book I think is a mystery. Every book is a romance, yeah. or, or some mix. And I would say that this book is more a mystery than romance, but um, there are elements of both. I I definitely think that the mystery d- should draw the reader along yeah, because you want to know what's going to happen. It definitely does. I will just tell you, it works. Yay. Your mystery works, um,
0: and I I love it. I love it so much. And I I adore the idea of like literary mystery, and I've. I have a, like a a dappling in my head of like, you know, what my next project will be. And Uh, I have this, again, it's something that was based on an idea that was based on a short story I wrote in high school. There you go. But I, which it was terrible, but the kernel of that.
1: It's the kernel short
0: story. I just think is a mystery, but I'm like, Oh, but I don't know. I don't know the end. I don't know who done yeah, it. I don't know the end. You never <laughs> I know. I know. I never know the end. I'm a total I didn't cancer. Know, yes. I didn't know what happened to Philip
1: until I wrote it. <gasps> I was going to ask, but I was. Mm-hmm. A- I, I wrote, I wrote the, I liked the premise. I was like, you know, I would read that book. That's how, that's kind of my, my criteria. That's my sort of watermark. Would I, would, would I want to pick this? up and read a book about a person who comes back after decades or maybe does not I mean, there's some great books both ways, people who come back and people who pretend to come back. And so I I just, I would want to read. i want to know, is it him? What happened to him? But I knew that I didn't know what happened to him. And, you know, I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of, I had a lot of different options, took a lot of work and a lot of thinking in what made sense. And then when I got to the right place, it really did flow properly in the way that I wanted it to. Um, and it turned into a story I really liked, but, um, I, yeah, I, I usually about, about a quarter of the way through the book, know the ending. Do you know that?
0: Um, for me, the, the piece of the, the work I'm doing right now, I knew the, I know the end. I knew the end. Um, I I sort of knew the end going into it. Like I had a vague sense of the end and it, I was like, but it could change. And it did change, but I knew it. My first book, Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, I had no idea what the end would be. I had like four possible endings. <laughs> that's and, good though. And I thought, and, and even as it is, the ending can be seen in two different ways. So that's, oh, that's cool. You know, some of the, some of my Goodreads reviews are like, eh, rah, that didn't make right. any sense. And I'm like, Yes, it
1: did. (laughs) (laughs) What's really funny is some of the ones for my reminder, like, this was slow, but worth it. And then some people are like, this was, I read, I couldn't put down. It was so quick. I read it in a day. So I just, the reader brings the reader's self to the book. And it becomes, in a lot of ways, it becomes the reader's book. But yeah, the knowing the end is really awesome when you start to know the end. I always know about a quarter of the way through, I know what emotional, no. Yes. That's that's what I mean by that's, knowing the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I know
0: the emotional note. Okay. Yeah, that's important. Usually, yeah. About, I'll say like a third of the way through, I I kind of start feeling, like once I get to know my characters, and, yeah, and they, you know, tell me about themselves, then I can see right. where, where it ends.
1: I think it's harder to write the beginning than it is to write the end. Yeah, I agree. Because the beginning really has to lay out all the characters in a way that and it tells the reader what am I reading what you know what is this book what kind of book is it I mean I think when when I watch like um Netflix or HBO one of those small screens the first literally the first image tells me so much about what kind of a thing this is going to be you know the kind of just the the kind of tone of the film the color just just and that that's kind of what I think that very beginning of a book needs to do is give you some impression. What are you in for? What are you getting into? What, um, and who are these, in the first time the characters speak or do anything, yes. it, it makes a huge impression, yeah. you know? So again, verisimilitude is not the goal because if you, if, if you decide to start your book at a different spot, you might think this character is a horrible person or, a, you know, yeah. a totally different person. So it's a, it's so manipulative where you, where you open the book it's true but I really uh I I I really enjoyed writing this book I'll say it's so so complex there's so much in it um so everyone watching I know I hate
0: I I hate to say goodbye but please please buy um what could be saved uh you're you can see you can see Lisa's website shiny at the bottom it's shiny it's good it has um my utmost uh, appreciation for it So, and my highest recommendation. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun to talk. It was fun. It Uh, was fun. Thank you, everybody who's watching now, watching on the replay or listening to the audio. Once again, this has been Writer's Showcase. We are a copywritten podcast with the global authors on the Air Network. I want to thank our producer, Roman Sorotin. Our executive producer, Pam Stack, from the Global Authors on the Air Network. This has been sponsored by Creative Edge Publicity. And once again, I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon. And I will see you all next month. Next week, we have a different host. So see you in a few weeks, everyone.